Welcome to The Naked Truth. Um, it's a new platform, so um, I'm still adjusting myself. But um, if you came expecting to see nudity, as before on the other platform, that I was blocked from unceremoniously with no explanation. That's how it is when you're Black and trans in America. Anything could happen, and uh, nobody seems to care. But for you who have followed me here and are interested in what we do here, um, to begin with, if you're expecting nudity, go to my website. It's hungtgirl.com. You can click on the pictures there. They're free videos. I update them every week, and um, you may see someone there you know. Um, you can see that side of me there. Um, feel free to get a membership, a subscription, or make a donation. All of the above are appreciated. Just checking out the free stuff, that's appreciated also. So anyway, that's what um, I'm about. But what I'm about here is going over chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you already know that, then uh, welcome back. And um, we're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Luke on the old platform, which, like I said, was dropped from. But, um, you know, it may be a blessing in disguise. Like they said in the Old Testament, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Maybe it'll be a way of expanding. So uh, we left off in Luke chapter 8, and basically what happened there, um, Jesus was saying, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 9, um, Jesus was showing us an example of what it's like for people who have passed away, how they will appear. He did like the transfiguration on top of the mountain and had witnesses, some of his disciples witnessed um, a couple of people appeared to him, uh, Moses and Elijah, people from the Old Testament, one who basically brought the Ten Commandments and led the people out of slavery in Egypt, uh, where they were for basically 400 years. They weren't necessarily slaves that whole time, but um, by the time he rescued them, that's what his role was. That's what their status was. And Elijah basically was the Old Testament prophet who um, um, he, one of the few who didn't die in the Bible. There were only like two um, who are listed as living but not dying. Um, and he was one of them, Elijah. And he was taken up in what we would call a UFO, um, a fiery a fiery chariot, as it's described in the Old Testament. So anyway, that's where we left off in um, Luke chapter 9. Uh, let me see if there's anything I'm forgetting there. Uh, he did send them out um, to the people, basically to start their ministry. That's what his message was for the um, apostles as he was sending them out. And basically, he also ended with saying uh, about having denominations that it's not a good thing. Either you're for something or against something. So basically, um, if you're a Christian, let that be enough. Um, there's no need for denominations if everyone is truly on the same page about who the Savior is, who the Messiah was, and who it is who we believe died for us, rose again, and is coming back someday for us, um, among a, a lot of other things, if that's what you believe uh, Jesus's role was. So um, that's what happened in uh, Luke chapter 9. If you'd like, get your Bible and read along with me, or just listen in either way. Be blessed. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So this is him sending them for the disciples. Same thing, basically, we're called to do, carry the message forward. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus is saying um, the reward as far as heaven goes is a huge reward, but the people actually willing to work toward getting there is are few. Um, so he's saying pray to God that people will be sent out into the field to um, help reap that harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. So he's letting us know that it's dangerous and I suppose being blocked unceremoniously is one of the signs of that danger is the truth is not always popular. And like I've said before, the things I say are just um, my understanding of what it is that Jesus would have us know if we're going to call ourselves Christians, uh, not just Christians in name only. Um, so please don't let it offend you. Um, Go your way, behold us and you are as lambs among wolves. So he's letting us know the world is dangerous and there are people who out there who may not like what you have to say. Carry neither money bags, sack nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. Um, I think he's saying here that he'll provide is what the, I think he was would be saying here. He'll provide for them and even set it up so that other people will come along and provide for them like when they went to go get the donkey for him to make the triumphal entry into the city. There was someone already there with their uh, colt tied waiting for that moment, that hour, that moment um, for them to, for that to happen in their life and for this to be fulfilled. I think that's what he's saying. Sort of like if you're a gamer in the adventures of Link, when they wander along, there are goals set up along the way and people along the way that you have to interact with to get to the next level and the next um, prize and whatever whatever it is you're searching for. I think that's what he's saying similarly for them. He's made prearrangements. Um, but whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And this is something I actually do try to do myself. You don't have to yell it out loud. You don't even have to say it verbally. I mean, you don't have to say it where anyone else can hear it. But I try to do this myself whenever I say go to fam visit family, go to friends traveling on the road in a hotel. I definitely want a hotel because there's lots of different people gathered in that same space then. But um peace to the to the house peace to the house is something that I actually do myself. That's something I would recommend as far as if you're um thinking about how your prayer relationship should be with the Lord and the things you should do along the way. I think that's very that's one I highly recommend to just say peace to the house and get a spiritual feeling for the house. Um, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. So um, that will, you can sort of get a feel for the people that you're gonna come across. I like to think of it, especially in the times when I'm going um, to meet people who I have not met before, or if you're even going out to like do something, some sort of transaction, a financial transaction like or deal to do it that way, to just um, enter the situation with peaceful thoughts. Um, and then expect a, a sort of spiritual response that you'll get an idea of whether the people you're dealing with are interest on the same page, page with you as far as um, seeking peace and not craziness. And um, remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give for the laborers worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. I think the point of that message is that um, it's not meant for the believers to seem like they're um, going around freeloading and begging, just going to see from house to house, which 
set of people are going to feed them. And in the modern sense, it's not meant that the spreading of the gospel should be like many televangelists do. And I'm not going to, obviously, it's not my place to judge what they do, but in a sense of um, casting a wide net, but not including the gospel as the bait, but instead just nice words, which are good and serve their purpose, but people shouldn't mistake those nice words and pleasant thoughts for what the gospel truth is when it, since it, it's, it's a matter of your soul salvation if you're a believer. Um, excuse me. Um, and so I think Jesus also is saying there that in doing that work and spreading the word that your reward will come to you in that sense. Because he's already said before in another place, don't do your charitable deeds so that other people can see them in a sense of um, making a giant donation to a cause and then making sure there's the press there to report it and tell everybody how generous you were. He said before that that's the reward you're going to get. Don't look for a divine reward in that, that you're openly giving freely so that everybody can see what a big shot you are, which also, I mean, if it, it serves its purpose of getting whatever cause you have in mind ahead, then that's perfect. That's wonderful. But he's also saying that that's the reward you're going to get is that notoriety, not anything from above. Excuse me. Or whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. So I think there, a lot of people get hung up on um, food laws and things like that. When, if you were, if you happen to hear the reading from before, when, if you believe the whole Bible, it, you're going to run into contradictions because in the for, in the um, Old Testament and the book of Genesis, you're told um, pretty much that anything goes, anything that moves, you can eat it. Um, but only after, in Genesis chapter uh, 1, verse 30, first we start out vegetarians where everything is, um, all the herbs are supposed to be our diet. Then after the flood, um, anything was on the table. All the living creatures that moved were given as food. And then it wasn't until later in the um, books of Le like Leviticus where those food laws are written that the forbidden foods became lots of different things from pork and shellfish. So um, to um, eating a cow with butter, you know, so eating steak with butter, garlic on top of it would be considered not kosher. Um, uh, like garlic butter on top of a steak, that would be considered not kosher, not cool, uh, an abomination. Um, so the importance of that, I think, is that just like that's considered an abomination by Old Testament standards, so is homosexuality. So a lot, you'll see a lot of people get upset enough about the LGBT uh, movement that they'll um, protest even at funerals where people are trying to be put to rest and they'll thump their Bibles and try and say that everyone there is damned for uh, even participating in that. But then they'll go and sit down at a barbecue restaurant and eat on some pork ribs. So total hypocrites, because if one thing's an abomination and you're going to swear that you're living by it all, then the other thing has to also be an abomination. And you should really just focus on yourself. Deal with the barbecue before you go deal with someone else's uh, private life. And certainly don't have to disturb people who are mourning at their uh, funeral. Uh, that's not a good thing. That's uh, that's not what Jesus is calling us to do. Um, um, and heal the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near to you. 
I think he's saying here that in the sense of healing the sick, because obviously everyone's not a physician, a nurse, or able to be there in that emergency situation and help heal someone. But there are uh, there is a such thing as um, spiritual sickness where people believe some, have the wrong beliefs and it leads to a sick way of thinking. So in a sense, if you're providing the truth to people, even if you're even if they're not able to hear it all and accept it all, because Jesus, there were messages that Jesus said everyone would not be able to accept. Um, but um, to be able to provide people at least the spark to try and find the truth for themselves, so that they can find peace for that um, sickness. But um, he also told them that they were they were going to have power to cast out demons and heal sick, so heal the physically ill sick people also. Um, so it's like he's enduing them with power before they're heading out on the mission. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, so this is if your message gets rejected, sort of like how I, my uh, channel was rejected on the other platform. Um what do, you, what do you do? The very dustier city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. So respectfully, that's what I say to YouTube and that whole platform um, where if, if you're trying to share a truth with someone and they don't want to hear it, don't sweat it, move on. Um, go to plant your seeds basically where you know they'll grow. Don't plant it on stones. Don't plant it among thorns, plant it somewhere good, fertile ground where you know it'll take root. And there's no better way of being able to tell if a place is not fertile ground than if they rebuke, reject you and uh, block you. So all you can do is move on. Um, and like I said from the beginning, people who are meant to hear this message, this now, this podcast, this reading um, that I do here, um, the ones that are meant to hear it will hear it, and those who are not meant to hear it won't, and that's okay with me. And so it's, don't worry that I'm doing this for uh, likes or subscribers, or uh, I'm doing it for my own self, be myself, because for some reason I feel compelled to, because it seems like a lot of people are call themselves godly and seeking the truth, but completely rejecting the truth. So what better way than chapter by chapter, verse by verse, to show people the truth, especially if they consider themselves part of the flock. Um, but I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. So in case you don't know what Sodom is, and almost everyone knows what Sodom is, even those who are atheists, Sodom is the Old Testament um, city that was burned down. It's preached now by churches nowadays that um, because the word Sodom is tied to the word, is the root word of the word sodomy, that that's Jesus, that was God's rebuke of um, homosexuality in the Old Testament. If you instead look for yourself, instead of taking someone else's word for it, and read what happened in the um, in the account of what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, it's clear that being gay was uh, the least of the worries that was going on in that area. You had a man willing to give up his um, the women in his household to be raped, uh, gang raped by a violent mob outside um, because that violent mob wanted to gang rape him. But instead he sacrificed, uh, he was willing to sacrifice the women in his household. Um, and then after that, you can read it yourself. It's there in the Old Testament. Then after, in Genesis, so you don't even have to read very long to get to it if you start from page one. But then after that, uh, he gets drunk in the story. He gets drunk and then ends up 
what we call molesting, but having sex with his two daughters. It's not listed how old they are, impregnating them, and then from there starting a whole new branch of a family dynasty that exists in the Old Testament. And people would like to teach that the moral of that story is don't be gay. And they pass that on for um, generations when in reality, clearly that's the least of the concerns from that Genesis story of Sodom. So anyway, that's what Sodom is. And that's what um, that's what's being referred to here. The whole city was destroyed by a fire and brimstone rain from heaven um, and pretty much destroyed everyone in the city except for um um, the three that the angels came and um, helped escape, leading them by hand. They didn't want to leave the city. They were so afraid of the path ahead. So um, Jesus is saying here that for any um, city that rejects you, where you go and try and spread the message, that it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom that was destroyed by fire like that than for um, that city uh, who rejects you and rejects his message um, in the day of judgment. So um, it's kind of a reassuring thing, like many things when it comes to reaping what you sow, the, the bad things that you do seem to come, at least for me, when I do make mistakes and do bad things, they seem to come back pretty quickly. The good things, they're more like plants. You just have to wait for them to grow mature and bear their fruit for you. Um, so um, Jesus is saying that the, similarly, the cities that reject the gospel that they're supposed to be carried forward, although the gospel teachings pretty much end at the second chapter of Acts for the apostles in the Bible until you get to Revelation. Um, but the cities that reject that gospel message, it's not going to be very good for them in the judgment day. So he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, a great while ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. So Jesus is saying that um, as they go out to these different cities, and those are different cities listed in um, uh, in the region, some of them are still around even now. Um, he's saying that they're um, woe to them because they're going to reject the gospel. They're going to reject the message. And um, I'm not sure what the Christian population is now, but, you know, in that area of the world, but. I'm pretty sure Christianity is not the number one religion in that area because it's pretty much all um, uh, Muslim and Jewish um, uh, religions right there in that area. But there are uh, there's a Christian population, too. But what Jesus is saying here in those cities where they're rejected, uh, that's what happened in those cities. They rejected the message. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. So um, Jesus is saying there, the cities that did witness his different miracles and um, the things that um, most people nowadays would, um, you know, pay a tall price to get to witness and see, those cities that saw it still reject the message. So um, it's going to be woe to them. It's not going to be good for them in the day of judgment either when that time comes. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be thrust down to Hades. Um, Hades is, um, it's, it's, in some translations, it's hell, um, or in some, in some ways, in some senses, it's considered death. I think that it would only make sense that he's talking about hell here because he says heaven as, as the, um, the antithesis, antithesis of it. He starts out by saying it be exalted to heaven, so sort of the opposite of that would be hell, um. And so it just translated as Hades here. But either way, um, 
I think the message of what he's saying is that um, those cities seek, those areas, people seek a certain greatness in, um, in life. But while they're seeking it, it turns out they're going to be degraded um, because they're rejecting, again, they're rejecting his gospel. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So um, again, that's the message of Red Letter Christianity. It's um, easy to find out what um, Jesus would have you do since it's highlighted in red. Um, so there's really no need for a debate or to look beyond it uh, from what other people may preach or what they may think. And what Jesus teaches about food, what he teaches about um, same-sex relations, what he thinks teaches about divorce, it may indeed and does differ from a lot of the other teachings throughout the Bible. But if you call yourself Christian, Jesus really should give the last word. And um, his words are very limited and only lim they're limited in, the, um, in what they in where they're listed in the Bible. So if you are a new believer, I would very much recommend that you try and focus on his teachings um, as your roadmap. Um, but Jesus also is finishing there saying that um, if someone rejects the gospel, rejects the teaching that you're trying to share with them, then it's not just you to reject them, rejecting him. And then that lets you know that it's as long as you're teaching what he said, um, again, the red letter Christian teachings of Christ, then um, it's him they're actually rejecting. It's not you. So basically, don't take it personally. I don't take it personally. Like I said, even before on the other platform, there were only like two or three people who would um, even listen. It's like, so I'm really not sure whose feathers were ruffled enough to go through the trouble of blocking me, but so be it. Then the 70 return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So you have the um, you have the disciples returning after they've been sent out saying that um, they were able indeed to command demons basically to perform exorcisms. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. If you, um, it seems um, there's two ways this could be taken. He says, I saw, so that means it's past tense. So when pe preachers try to tell you that this refers to some time in the future, they'll say in the millennium or they'll say in Revelation, it cannot be. If you look right there, it's past tense saying, I saw, meaning this already happened. And he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So uh, that could be taken in two different ways. That could be taken in Either um, he saw him physically fall and it happened so quickly, just like lightning happens, or he could say that he uh, saw him fall literally from heaven down to earth. Um, but if that's the case, then that contradicts what is written in Revelation, which um, says that uh, Satan's not going to be kicked out of heaven until um, some other point later at the end. So, um, Again, that's one of my issues with Revelation. Sometimes it contradicts what the four Gospels have to say, what Jesus said. Um, so anyway, that's what Jesus said when they came back. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So um, again, I think this was powers that Jesus gave to the disciples specifically. This isn't something we should try and go out and trying to practice picking up serpents and scorpions. Because um, although we are called to share um, our Christian faith with other people, um, it's um, it's not at this point now where we're, he's not physically telling us, 
to pick up serpents and scorpions. He's not even telling them to pick up serpents and scorpions. I think he's saying if they should come across um, deadly things like serpents or scorpions, not like if you actually go looking for trouble. Um, but he says overall the power of the enemy. And there are going to be times in the gospel where you see that the disciples were not able to exercise these powers. So maybe they were only giving, given these powers, these abilities at um, one portion of their, um, their um, during their one portion of their ministry, not for the whole time that they're out spreading the word. And I'll just say one last thing about that. A lot of people nowadays will refer to Jesus' miracles as magic tricks and um, in a way of insulting the whole faith and everything. But even that is an illogical um, conclusion that it's magic tricks. Because if it were magic tricks, they'd be easily replicated nowadays since we have so much technology and um, to make it happen even easier, even from walking on water to creating the healing. So um, just so you know, when I say he was giving them powers, it's not like it's um, he's teaching them magic tricks. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So maybe there Jesus is knowing that he, he's given them the power for them to um, have power over um, demons and unclean spirits, but also knowing that they're not always going to be able to have the faith that goes along with that to exercise that authority he's given them. Um, so don't get too caught up in that um, and knowing that they have that power. But, and also to rejoice in the fact that what's most important is that you have a place in heaven where, um, you know, um, for after we're here. In, our, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good to your, in your sight. So Jesus is saying that it's... Um, He's thanking the Lord um, the, um, for revealing these things to people willing to hear them, basically. Um, the ones that are there without their preconceived notions of what um, the kingdom of God, heaven and hell, what salvation is actually all about. And revealing them to, um, to these people. All, the, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is but the Father. And who the Father is but the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So Jesus is saying there, I believe that he's saying, um, God, who the God, true God, who um, who he calls Father, no one actually knows. And I've said that before, and if you if you if said before, if you read in the Old Testament, there's at least either different gods being talked about there that the people are worshiping at the very least, and if that's not the case, then the one God that is being preached there changes. And because people say God's unchanging and um, he's the same yesterday, today and forever, both just not true if you're going by the Old Testament alone. Like I said, um, an example is how the food laws changed. You can't possibly say that God doesn't change when it went from being vegetarian to omnivore to um, a kosher diet all within the first few books of the Bible and all supposedly from the same God, but they just can't be. Both of those things can't be true. They can't all be from the same God and God can't be unchanging. Those two things can't possibly be true. And that's just one of the examples. Excuse me. Um, 
Okay, so um, Jesus is saying all things. So basically he's saying that all things have been delivered to him from God the Father. Basically he's letting us know here that the true way, the only true way to enlightenment the true God is through him. And I believe it's through his teachings. And he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. You'll have some preachers who will even flip this around and say that um, that he's saying this to us, that people um, want to see these times when, like I said, with the last reading about um, possibly time traveling being um, alluded to by Jesus and um, in Mark, I think what he's saying here, that it's those times, it's the time of Jesus walking around, uh, that a lot of people, if they have the option to in the past or even in the future, if there was a time people could choose to go back and actually experience through time travel, I believe a lot of people, number one, very high, if not number one on the list, would have to be the times when Jesus walked the earth. And that that's was what Jesus referred to when he said, some of you standing here are not going to taste death till they see the kingdom of God come again. I think that's um, what he was alluding to there. That's, uh, similarly, he's saying here that of all the times in the world, that these are the times when he's walking there with the disciples are the times that many people wish they could see. Um, for I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. So, like I said, I think that's where he's alluding there to people of all times um, that one of the biggest desires if time travel safe and rely on um, they're blessed to be able to see that. And he's thanking God that those people did get to witness it, the people being the disciples. Um, okay, so um, we're on to the lawyer now who asked him what it takes to get into heaven. He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And, and now that I'm reading this, I'm realizing this is actually probably the last lesson I did on the old platform. But um, so Jesus um, is asking him, he He's asked, he's been asked this a question and Jesus has turned the tables on him and he's asking him, well, what's your reading of it? What's your, basically, what's your understanding of what does it take to get into heaven? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. So Jesus is saying here, affirming again, that it's of the Old Testament commandments, of the top ten commandments, the ones to follow. Thank God those people did visit being the disciples. He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And, and now I'm reading this, I'm realizing this is actually probably less than I did on the platform. But um, so Jesus um, is asking him, he's been asking this question, Jesus turned the table on him. He's asking him, well, What's your reading of it? What's your particular what's your understanding of what does it take to have it? He answered and said, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart. He said to him, You have answered right, we do this and you will live. So Jesus is saying here, from again, that is, of the Old Testament commandments, of the top ten commandments, ones to follow. And like I said before, when we did the last reading, uh, one of them is covered automatically in doing um, when you aren't trying to murder your neighbor, adulter, cheating on your neighbor, stealing from your neighbor. All those are wrapped up in love your neighbor as yourself. So you can cover many of them with just that one. And then many of the others can be covered with the one of loving the Lord and putting him first. Um, and Jesus says to me, you... And he said to him, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. Those are the commandments, basically, that Jesus is saying that we need to follow that lived on from the Old Testament as good, 
tenets to follow in our faith, even as red letter Christians. But he wanted to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So um, this um, breaks down um, breaks down color lines for one thing and lets us know who our neighbors actually are. Because he could easily say, oh, it's your Hebrew brothers. Those are your neighbors. Or you could say anyone in the world is your neighbor. Or you could say only men are your neighbors or only rich people are your neighbors. So he's saying, well, who's my neighbor? Who is it that I have to uh, love just like I love myself is what the man is asking him. Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So basically um, in the parable Jesus is giving him, someone um, was mugged. They were traveling and were robbed. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Um, the priest here, I think, is an example of the religious community in this parable, how they'll notice an injustice. And this is definitely prevalent now. They'll notice something that's terribly wrong, whether it's um, corruption based on so-called capitalism, where uh, it's okay to keep giving money to the rich and nothing to the poor and say nothing. He's saying that's basically the religious community willing to see an injustice and still walk past it. Um, likewise, a Levite, when he uh, arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. So this, again, is another religious authority figure. Um, they're separated in the Old Testament. The Levites had certain duties um, in the Old Testament, and the priests had other duties in the Old Testament, but both were basically religious leaders. And notice how for one person's religious belief and duties, they saw fit to walk right past the injustice and do nothing. And for the other person's religious convictions and their beliefs, for all of their beliefs, they still saw the situation, walked by, and did nothing. Um, but they still consider themselves godly and holy. And you can see how that relates in society now, and probably forever, that it's always been that way. Um, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. So... Here you have the Samaritan, which are basically looked down upon because they're separated. It happened in the Old Testament when the tribes were split up. Tribes, basically, there was a patriarch, Abraham, who had um, descendants. And they broke, basically broke down into 12 tribes. One of the major tribes was the tribe called Judah, basically the king line where King David came from and over um, that area. And then all the other tribes had their regions and areas too. But then after um, Solomon died in the Old Testament, they broke off from his family line. Sort of like the same way the Muslim faith has the people who, who believe um, uh, that the family line of their prophet is the faith that you should follow. And the others believe that it's others who pass down the message in their faith who you should follow. Similarly, it's happened with them. Um, so that's what Jesus is talking about here. And the Samaritans were the ones that went a different way. And they um, are separate from the other lines. But um, they're also looked down upon, but those are the ones that actually took compassion on the person who was robbed and in need um, and went to him and bandaged him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, 
brought him to an end and took care of him. You can imagine that not happening nowadays. You people step over people who are homeless, and um, even even if you don't realize that you're stepping over them, physically, literally walking over them on a sidewalk, you're creating their situation and walking over them when you, um, for instance, vote for situations that are going to continue to keep people who don't have. And it's fine if you feel like you don't need to have um, Obamacare or um, choices when it comes to health care. That's health care. That's fine. Just like the anti-vax movement, if you feel like you don't want to take part of vaccinations, but it's not fine that you inflict that on other people who actually need those things. Um, that's not a kosher thing to do. But you see what happened there, not the religious people who stopped to see uh, what the person in need who was in the streets and um, and who had been robbed needed. It was the Samaritan who was looked down upon, who actually took him the extra mile, even getting him a place to stay and making sure he was taken care of. You could imagine that not happening nowadays. So um, which of the three do you think Oh, um, I skipped one. Sorry. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii I gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. Excuse me. So the Samaritan's heart was generous enough that not only did he turn around, turn aside from whatever it is he was doing with on his normal day's business, to take care of the person, bandage them, and put them up someplace, put him up someplace. But he even gave him a tab with the place and said, whatever more you spend, he's going to pay that. You can imagine that not happening nowadays. It's crazy. Um, but Jesus, that's the example that Jesus gave of what's happened to the, um, the uh, man who was um, robbed. He said, "Who? okay, so, when, so which of the, these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves. So he's answering the man's question with a question asking him, well, you asked me, well, who's your neighbor? So basically, who is it you have to respect? Who is it that you have to love and treat as yourself? Who, what kind of person is that that you should, which person should you consider your neighbor? Who are you calling a neighbor? And he said, he showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So Jesus is saying there, your neighbor is anyone in need. That's who you're supposed to love as yourself. And if you wouldn't want to see yourself sleeping under a bridge or not having um, health care, and even if you're willing to not have health care for yourself because you protest government taking part in um, in um, your personal affairs, then one, you'd be very much alone since many big corporations get subsidies. We call them subsidies to protect pride, but actually they're actually a welfare, billions of dollars in welfare. For corporations in a situation where we're supposed to be capitalists, that means survival of the fittest. If your business can make it on its own, then it can make it on its own, supposedly, in capitalism. That's not what's actually happening. Um, so it doesn't make sense for you to um, say that I care about God who I can't see, but you don't care about your neighbor who you step over in the gutter because that's where they're forced to live now. It doesn't make sense. So Jesus is saying that's who his neighbor is. It's anyone in need. It's anyone. Now it happened, so as they went, that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed them into her house. Um, 
And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So um, this Mary and Martha, um, well, it'll probably explain it. I'm pretty sure they are the sisters of Lazarus, who he raised from the dead, because those are his sister's names here also, but it may not mention it. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. So um, she's saying she doesn't think it's fair for um, for her, because like I said before, and if you could read throughout the Bible, as far as how genealogies are listed only by the sons and the males, similarly, it's a patriarchal society. And a lot of religions now are very much male-oriented, and societies are based on what's best for the male. And um, so similarly here, she feels like she's being left with all these duties that are generally old school expected of women to do and she's saying tell her sister to help her um basically make her conform to the um expectations of her gender role in society i mean it's very similar similar to what happens now um in not just in christianity um, but in other religions where women aren't allowed to drive or or um certain things are just expected of you if you're a certain way and that reminds me of how, though, um, just to think a quick side note, that if you're ever interested in breaking up some of your own um, stereotypes of what different religions are, it surprised me to find out that of all the religions um, and of all the countries in the world where someone transgender can actually change on their birth certificate what their sex is after, um, after they have the surgery, it's actually a Muslim country. In fact, it's the very conservative Muslim country of Iran. And you can look it up yourself on, um, if you're gonna look it up online, there's a documentary about it called um, To Be Like Others. And it goes into how um, they actually state sponsor the sex change and um, will actually change your gen gender um, to your new gender on your birth certificate, which not I don't think any other countries will do that. Um, if so, it's very, very recent since they do start to do that. And it's just something you wouldn't expect since you, when you think, at least when I think of um, the Muslim faith, it's a very strict and uh, rigid way. Uh, I think of it as having a very strict and rigid way of teaching, um, but only in general sense, because I know everyone who's Muslim is not willing to blow themselves up or blow up other people for their beliefs. Just as there's lots of Christians who uh, have, who claim to be Christians and have these public shootings here in this country. So it's not like one uh, religion because it's the religion that's causing them to do these things, not actual um, genuine faith and goodness, but it's the religion that drives them to those things. But um, I just thought it was interesting if you want to check it out, how you can't just stereotype stereotype a whole group of people. Um, so that's basically she's saying, force her to do what women are supposed to do and tell her to help me serve. And Jesus answered and told and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. So he's saying, okay, you're occupied. You've got your hands full. You're doing a lot of stuff there. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So he's saying you're busy with life. You're handling all these duties that are expected of you. 
which, hey, good for her. But he's saying the one thing that's really needed is the pursuit of the gospel and hearing what Jesus has to say about things. He's saying that's the one thing that's needed. And that's the one thing that her sister was focused on. And he's saying that's the one thing he's not going to take from her. So he didn't tell the sister to get up and start helping her serve and to focus on taking care of the men in the house and to focus on fulfilling your societal duty based on what um, societal norms are. He said, no, pursue the gospel. That's what you do. Keep listening to me and I'm not going to take it from you. So that ends this reading. And I hope that it was a blessing for you and that you will join me again for the next one. God willing, Saturday night will... Um, Pick up where we left off in um, in Mark. And God willing, next Wednesday sometime we'll pick up here where we left off in Luke. And like I said, I just realized that that was a rereading. But uh, along the way, I realized that was a rereading of one we'd already went over. But I feel like there were a couple of new things there that I forgot to go over when we read it before. So maybe, again, that's how it's meant to be. God bless you and peace. And thanks for listening. Peace.